0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now, wherever you get your podcasts. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep? Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. I feel like who art ed? We'll to it. Who we'll art Mr. Wood, <laughs> art ed me. Good. Yeah, either way, it, it's <laughs> ambiguous. it works I know. That's a great to start. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and for today's episode, we're going to focus on Gustav Eiffel and the Eiffel Tower. In the late 19th century, a world's fair was a really big deal. In a time when most people lived their entire lives within a 20 mile radius of where they were born, the fairs were a rare opportunity for people to experience the best of various cultures through grand exhibitions. In 1889, the city of Paris created a display that would become a cultural landmark for generations to come. The idea was to create a building 300 meters tall. For listeners in the United States, a meter is a unit of measure in a much simpler and more logical base 10 metric system that pretty much everyone else in the world is using. 300 meters is just a bit more than 300 yards or about a thousand feet. The Eiffel Tower was by far the largest structure built at that time. The previous record holder was the Washington Monument in the U.S., standing at about 555 feet or 169 meters tall. Gustav Eiffel was an entrepreneur, and he had two engineers working with him to plan the Iron Tower, but not everyone was on board with the design. Audiences today may be surprised to hear that many Parisians thought the design was an eyesore and a blight on their beautiful city. The architect, Stephen Sauvestre, was commissioned to work on the design and make it less ugly. He drafted arches, glass-walled halls on every level, stonework around the base, and other ornamental details throughout the structure. Ultimately, they stripped it down to a more utilitarian structure, but they kept his idea of arches at the base. The form of the tower was largely determined by the engineers' calculations to cut down on wind resistance. The primary resistance, though, came from writers and artists who criticized the tower throughout its construction. I think my favorite description came from Francois Copier, who called it Quote, "This mast of iron gymnasium apparatus, incomplete, confused, and deformed. Of course, this criticism faded as the World's Fair began and the tower was a huge hit. Over two million visitors came to marvel at it. While it did prove successful, the Eiffel Tower was not intended to be a permanent fixture in the city. It was built to wow visitors in the fair and then to be torn down later. Eiffel only had a permit to have the structure stand for 20 years. The idea that the tower would be temporary provided an interesting opportunity for another sort of creative visionary. A truly remarkable con artist named Victor Lustig sold the tower for scrap. Two times. While truly awful, I must admit his plan was quite clever. He posed as an official with the French government, but instead of claiming a high-status post, he pretended to be a mid-level government official. He met with heads of various scrap iron companies, telling them that because of the sensitive nature of such a high-profile project, he was trying to meet with people discreetly to get bids for the roughly 7,300 tons of iron used to build the tower. He then met privately with the least successful of the bidders and tried to appear empathetic. He tells the guy, look, I know you're up and coming. It's hard to compete with bigger companies. I feel for you. I'm just a mid-level government employee. I'm struggling too. Maybe we can help each other out. He actually got the guy to bribe him for the contract for all that scrap iron, which did a few things. It made him seem a little more credible to the guy he was conning, but more importantly for Lustig, it made his mark less likely to report the crime, as doing so would not only be embarrassing, but it would also implicate him for the bribery. Lustig got the money and then fled to Austria, where he watched the papers to see if there were any reports of the crime. And he was right. The businessman was too embarrassed to report it. In the ultimate show of hubris, Lustig returned to Paris and attempted to repeat the exact same scam. The second time around, though, he was not so successful and ended up having to flee the country yet again. He went on to carry out numerous other audacious crimes before he was arrested and sent to the notorious Alcatraz prison in the United States. The tower was never sold for scrap, of course. It stands today as one of the most recognizable symbols of the city of Paris. Just to wrap things up, here are a few extra fun facts about the tower. It's a few meters taller today than it was when it was built in 1889, due to antennae that have been added to the top. Because heat makes metal expand, the Eiffel Tower stands a bit taller in the summer, It even bends slightly away from the sun as the iron on the sunny side will expand a few inches more than the iron on the shady side. And finally, to prevent all of that iron from rusting, the entire tower needs to be repainted every seven years.